Well, one day we are going to get back into Acts chapter 10. Um, that's where we're at. We've been preaching through uh, books of the Bible since we started. And uh, we technically should be in Acts chapter 10. And I can't wait to get into that particular story because that's where uh, God now allows the Gentiles into the church. And it's now now it's fixing to rock and roll. And I'm looking forward to uh, doing that. But last night, as I'd studied all week and looked forward to Acts chapter 10, and uh, I'm ready to get, get rolling in it. I got everything in my mind how it's all going to go. Uh, God, just like last week. And uh, somebody, here is, somebody here is like messing some, man, I don't know, changing something here. But he changed it again last night. Right when Karen was calling about the accident and all this, God's like uh, saying, oh, you got another message to preach, a different one. So I want you to know again that if you are here, it's by God's design, and what I'm speaking on today, what I'm sharing with you is what God wants you to hear, and it's what he wants me to hear. So um, what we're going to do is, uh, well, I, I want to start off by telling you a little story. When my wife uh, was uh, pregnant with my son, Matthew. Now, my son, Matthew, is 21 years old, and uh, he's going to be here next week, so I'm excited because uh, I'll be anxious to get our band back the week after that, but... Uh, my two daughters, Emily, raise your hand. That's my youngest daughter getting ready to graduate. Have a piece of cake in her honor afterwards and all that. My oldest daughter, Ashley, raise your hand. Where'd you go? Right there singing. And then my son will be here. And um, he's actually been kind of a worship leader and youth pastor at a church up in either South, uh, North Florida, Alabama, somewhere up in that area. But he's in college. And he's bringing his very Southern Alabama new girlfriend with him. So check her out for us, all right? And make sure she's all right. Give us her stamp of approval. But she's a worship, studying to be a worship pastor also, a worship leader. And so uh, they're all going to be leading worship next week. And um, so, But i got to tell you, when my wife was about, I don't know, 12 months pregnant with Matthew. And uh, <laughs> maybe not 12, but dude, she was great with child. And she was fixing to bust at any time. I woke up in the middle of the night one night, and I had pain like I had never had before in my life. Dude, I never experienced this kind of pain. I never experienced this level of pain. I, I, there was no Google 21 years ago, dude. Well, if there was, there was dog pile. Thing, but I couldn't figure out what it was. No WebMD. Man, I didn't know what this pain inside me was. And I'm rolling around on the bed, man. I'm jumping. We had a trampoline in the backyard. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm jumping on the trampoline, hoping something inside me comes loose. Because, dude, I had this pain. There was something in me that wasn't supposed to be there. And never in my life had it been this way. It would not go away. Man, it was there. I woke my wife up because, you know, how many of y'all know us guys are babies when we get sick, right? We can't do it alone. We got to share the misery with you guys. So, man, I woke her up, and, and, and she's trying to get me a doctor's appointment. And in Orlando, when you get a doctor's appointment that you didn't schedule way ahead of time, you come in, and there's like 50 people in the doctor's office. And, and there's barely any chairs. And I get my wife a chair. She gets me one. But I didn't sit in that chair. This packed doctor's office with my wife that's now 18 months pregnant. And uh, <coughs> she's there. And I am laying on the ground rolling. I mean, literally that loud. And my wife is like, get up. I just remember looking down from the ground at her eyes burning into me going, would you just get up? You're embarrassing me. And, you know, in the way that they can do it without really like everybody else knowing they're yelling at you, right? Anybody ever experienced that? Don't admit to that, please. But 
Anyways, man, she's like, you're embarrassing me. Get up. I can't believe you're doing this. And I'm laying. I'm like, no, I'm not getting up. It hurts. And I'm laying there. Finally, the doctor comes in, and I bet I rolled into the doctor's office. Dude, this was pain like I had never had before. <coughs> so I get through that, and I get in the doctor's office, and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, I got pain. It hurts. And I'm in there, and they're like x-raying me. And my wife's going, oh, that, yeah, that's my husband. All right, and uh, then she felt really, really bad when they got the x-rays. Because they come out and they said, would you like us to take him to the hospital with an ambulance or do you want to take him? And then now she's like, oh, you know, kind of embarrassment. And it was kidney stones. Anybody here ever have kidney stones? JJ, you know, yeah. Dude, even ladies have told me that good cases of kidney stones is equivalent to a man, I mean, equivalent to labor. I've had ladies tell me that. And I'm just telling you, when I had those kidney stones, and I'm not going to go into all the details, dude, to how we got rid of that bad boy, but I'm just saying, man, once they were gone, I wanted to do everything in my power to make sure they never, ever, ever came back again. And uh, give it up for the woman that was 18 months pregnant right there, my wife. <laughs> but, uh, <coughs> but anyways... Man, I was going to do whatever it took to never have those again. I did, the, I did some research, talked to people. People were like, oh, cranberry juice. No, orange juice, cranberry you know. And the common denominator for what I had is I was dehydrated. And I needed to make sure that I had water in me. Well, dude, in Orlando, we got this chlorinated, hardless water that just comes out. And, dude, it's like drinking swimming pool water. It was nasty. I'm like, I ain't drinking that. So I found this. Public seltzer water, 21 years ago, this stuff right here. And uh, man, I started drinking this stuff. And now today, I'll drink two of these bottles a day. You know, I drink, man, probably four, sometimes even three bottles of this junk a day. And I drink at room temperature because then I can always have it my way. It's all good. And, uh, but man, if I drink this, I stay hydrated and I haven't had kidney stones in over 21 years. Now, please pray that I didn't just kind of, I'm covering that with the blood, Jesus. I don't want them tonight. But man, I come out and I know that when I'm thirsty, I've got to drink. I can't put it off and get distracted. I've got to drink. So sometimes, man, I'll grab this bottle and I know that what's inside this bottle is so important for my health and it's got to come out of this bottle that, man, I just grab it and I open it up and oh, And I'm usually sitting in my car and it's all over my crotch and lap and, and I have now made a mess. When it was in this bottle, it had to come out. It was so important that it came out that I didn't think about anything else. And when I opened it, I made a mess everywhere. Now, let me ask you, does that sound like your mouth? Does that sound like your mouth? That what, have you ever been shaken up so much, man, that what's inside here has to come out and you're just going to let it out and you don't care what kind of mess that it makes because you'll deal with it later. Man, isn't that what we do with our mouths? And you know what? When we do that with our mouths, when we let what comes out, but it's so important, I've got to say it. What I'm feeling inside, that emotion's got to come out. Man, if I've got to take care of it. You know what? When we let that out, in that way, when we are shaken up, we totally miss the point of why God allowed that into our lives, that, 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 that trouble, that turmoil, that temptation, that test. And we miss why God had it. So God had me change the message. And we're going to look at three little verses in James chapter 1. And the point that, uh, let me grab, where's my little remote? We got a remote? It's on top of it. Oh, on top right there. And uh, 
In James chapter 1, three little verses that, that look with me if you would. Everybody say this real quick with me. Be slow to blow so you can grow. If you're not slow to blow, you'll never grow. Because every time God puts something in your life meant to make you grow spiritually, you blow up and you miss it. And now God has to correct you. He has to straighten you out. And hopefully you'll get it the next time. So be slow to blow so you can grow. But in order to understand these three little verses, we've got to quickly look at the context at the book of James and starting in verse one of chapter one. So hang with me. It'll all be up here or you can look today. I'm actually using the New Living Translation and it goes, man, if you want to do your ESV, New King James, all of those, this is just a great, easy explanation in context of what this is about. So let's go ahead and let's get started real quick. We, and get to these three verses. But at the very beginning, it says in here, this is a letter from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. All right. So first of all, this guy James wrote this. And James had a really, really famous brother. Does anybody know who his famous brother was? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. It was actually a half brother because they had kind of the same mom, which was Mary, but they had a different dad. Jesus, Jesus had God as his dad. And J James had Joseph, uh, the guy who wrote the book of Jude. He was in the same boat. He was a half-brother with Jesus. And now, can you imagine growing up with a perfect brother or sister? I mean, Ashley, how's it been growing up with Emily? I mean, if something's broken, something's it's not Emily because she's perfect, right? It can't be. And now Emily's like, oh, yeah, you're saying that now, but she's really the favorite, you know, in all of that. But, but listen, seriously, man, if you could imagine in Jesus's household, something's broken, something's missing, something's messed up. It's not Jesus. So which one of you guys did it? You know, and I was always in that group of which one of you guys did it in my household. Right. So I, but so there was some resentment, I'm sure. I'm sure that their whole life they're looking at, yeah, Jesus, won't you be more like Jesus? Mom, shut up. Inside they're saying that. Won't you be more like Jesus? And like, ah, I don't want to hear it. And all their life. And then so finally, Jesus goes out and starts doing this religious stuff. And the brothers are like, huh. And when he proclaims to be the Messiah, they've got it. He finally messed up. When Jesus proclaimed to be the Messiah, all his brothers and his family thought he was a nut. That's when they're like, oh, yeah, dude, we knew there was something wrong with him, man. He just was saved. You know how we, like, messed up a little bit every day? He just saved it all to the end, and, and he, he's just messed up. And that's what they really thought about Jesus as their brother. But after Jesus died and was buried and risen again, and everything happened just as he said it would happen, when that went down, they were like, oops. Oh, my goodness. He really was the Messiah. Now, think about this. Who's got to spend more time with Jesus? His brothers, Jude and James and Joseph and all the other ones mentioned, or the disciples? How long did they get to spend with Jesus? Three years, three years right? Arthritis. Three years. There are three years. They got to spend three years with them. And, uh, yeah, <laughs> some of the fingers worked. That was good. But three years. How long did these guys get to spend with them? His whole life. Man, so when they're writing their book, think back. of They're remembering from the time they were born the whole way. And now they're like, this guy's the Messiah. We better be serious. I remember him doing this. I remember this. So I think there's a lot of credibility in looking at what James is writing here. He said, you really want to know what Christ is about? Listen to me. And so look at the first thing he says. Uh, this letter is from James. Now, he doesn't say, oh, brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
How many of y'all would be flashing your little like credentials, your badge? Oh yeah, I'm, I'm one of Jesus' family here, you know. Now, look what he says. What's the next word? A slave. A slave. Dude, he's a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Emily, would that not kill you if you had to one day admit you were a slave to Ashley? Oh, I am. You always made me do everything. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> or both of you had to admit you were a slave to Matthew. Oh, no. We have to do whatever he says. No! Because that was supposed to be laundry, right? But anyways. <laughs> so in this, he said, I'm a slave. And you know what a slave is? A slave is somebody who submits themselves to a master. And does their plans matter? Does a slave's plans matter? Does a slave get up and write down and look on their itinerary and say, oh, yeah, master, as soon as I get done with this, 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 I'll go ahead and take care of your order. No, a slave from sunup to sundown and even in his dreams is doing nothing but figuring out how they're going to please the master. Now, you may have a different translation, and it might have the word that's a little more politically correct called servant. And when we think of ourselves as servants, we're like, you know, a servant, I get to choose. I'm serving out of the goodness of my heart. And so, you know, I'll do that when I have time to do that. A slave, dude, that's really what this word dulios means. It's a, it's a third-level galley slave. That's literally the Greek translation of this word slave. Uh, the first level, okay, everything in the first level, that's where you're out on the deck getting the sunshine and enjoying, oh, ahoy, mate, you know, land ho, you know, whatever they do on the boat, big, you know, back then. And then the, the middle one, dude, there were the guys rowing. You know, they had the guys rowing and they had stuff going on. But the third level, what reached the third level? Everything from the first and second level. And it was dark and dingy. It was the slave or the servant of all servants. And that's what this word means. James, the brother of Jesus, says, I am nothing but a slave to God. Whatever God wants from me, man, I'm doing it. Whatever Jesus said I'm supposed to do, that's my whole goal in life. Because I'm only here for a little bit of time. Man, I've got a home in heaven where I am not going to be a slave, but I am going to be a brother with Christ, and I'm going to be worshiping God forever and ever. But while I am here for this little bit of time, I, my goal is to do nothing but serve him. And so he goes, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, the Jewish believers scattered abroad. Greetings. Now, you guys remember from the book of Acts when we started it, that uh, man, Pentecost, and all of a sudden it spread, the, the Christian faith spread, faith in Jesus Christ and his resurrection spread, and everything was going good until persecution hit. And you remember Stephen was the first martyr, and after Stephen got martyred, before Saul or Paul became who he was as a Christian, he led a great uh, a crusade against the Christians, and now everybody was now persecuting Christians, and if that wasn't enough, Nero... He liked to build stuff, and Nero thought it would be really cool to burn down, you know, all of Nettles Island. Just go and burn Nettles Island down, and, and Anne will be so excited because then I'm going to build her a new house. <laughs> Can you imagine if, like, the, the one who built your subdivision burned their, your subdivision down, burned your condo down? How many of y'all be stoked? Yes, he's going to build a new one. Now, those of you with, what's that, spalting where your railings are falling off, you'd be stoked, but... But seriously, he burned Rome down saying, because he had no more room to burn or to, to build. And he said, I'm going to burn it all down, and then I'm going to build it up, and people are going to be so excited. But they weren't. They were kind of tech. He said, uh-oh. 
And he blamed it on the Christians. So now everybody's persecuting Christians. And guess what happened, man? The Christians now went all over. They spread to Europe, to the rest of Asia. They went all over the place to get away from the persecution. Who was responsible for that persecution? Who orchestrated? God did. And what was his purpose, Ellie? To spread it out because everybody was all comfortable in Jerusalem. We like Jerusalem. This is my pool deck. This is, you know, I got this system. And God said, no, I'm going to make it uncomfortable and I'm going to move you. Like he's moving you guys to St. Augustine. <laughs> you know, he's the one doing that so that you can spread what you've got up there. And so now what's happening is James is saying, okay, he was the pastor of the Jerusalem church. And all of his congregation is now spread all over the place. So when he's writing this book of James, he's now writing a letter to all of his parishioners that are now in other churches all over the place saying, hey, guys, I just want you to be sure you are saved and you're a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's some tests that you can put in your life to make sure that that's the case. He said greetings in this letter. So he starts off this letter. Now, look at the very first beginning of it. Dear brothers and sisters. Now. Is that talking about, uh, when he's talking about dear brothers and sisters, is he writing to people who don't believe in Jesus or people that have given their life to Jesus? Given. given their life. So he's writing to believers. Someone who's not a believer, they cannot have what James is talking about here. Because it takes the Holy Spirit of God living inside us to have what James is saying that we as believers are supposed to have. Because look at this first part. Dear brothers and sisters. When troubles of any kind come your way. Now, Pat and Pat, you guys are sisters in Christ, right? You're both believers. If you died right now, you go to heaven, all that. They're visitors, so we got to pick on them the first time. We don't scare you away the first time. You are family. Welcome, man. It's good. That's why all y'all are back, right? So, Pat and Pat, if troubles come of any kind, consider an opportunity for great joy. Terry, you ready? Put them both in a chokehold, man. He like, used to be a border patrol. You can like, put him in a chokehold and put him asleep. Are you ready? Yes, On the right. count of three. <laughs> count of great joy. Would you consider it great joy if JJ and, and Terry grabbed you in chokehold and they drug you down and you woke up later like, whoa, what happened? No, we don't consider those things great joy. But look what the word of God says. When troubles of what? What's the next word? Any kind. Come your way. Considered an opportunity. Now, just because you don't find it great joy doesn't mean it's not a source of great joy. If you see it from God's perspective, you can find great joy in any situation. Amen. It may not be good right at the beginning, but in the end, whenever it is that God makes it all come about, you'll see the purpose of it. Just like we talk about with driftwood. Man, the wind and the water and the waves and the sand, the purpose is to destroy a piece of wood. But how many of y'all ever seen a beautiful piece of driftwood? It doesn't get beautiful by not having the wind and waves and water tearing it up. It makes it more beautiful. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and called according to his purpose. 8, 29 says the purpose is to make us more like Christ. So James is saying, guys, you know, I know you're probably wondering how people that love Jesus and have given it all up for Jesus and you hear that Jesus loves you. How could he let all this junk happen to you? Your relatives burned at the stake. Your relatives stoned, your children taken away, and now you're alone over in Philippi or in Colossae. You're, you're alone somewhere. How could, how could God reconcile? How could a good God let those things happen? He says, man, when troubles of any kind come your way, he said, consider it. And what's, the next, what's that word? Consider it in opportunity. opportunity. And opportunity means you got a choice. You can get bitter or better. 
An opportunity means that now he said there's a possibility, there's great joy in this, but there's also a possibility that it's going to be a worse thing and mess your whole life up. It all is up to you and your perspective in that. So he's trying to tell him, man, consider a great joy when this junk happens in your life. God has brought it in your life as a per for a purpose to make you look more like him, to draw you closer to him. Look at verse 3. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Man, you know what? If I ran like five laps around here, come on, Terry, me and you will run five laps around here. What are we going to be like after we ran those five laps? Yeah, dude, me worse than you. I'm going to be. <laughs> but if every week I ran five laps, dude, five laps are going to be nothing in a little bit. You know, I'll be doing 10 laps to have to do that. And then after a while, that's nothing, man. And then I'll be able to do more and more. And that's what he's talking about with our faith. He said, man, when your faith is stretched, when it's tested, he said it's going to have an opportunity to grow. So the thing that's come in your life is there to give you an opportunity to grow more in love with God so you can then grow more in love with others. He said, so let it grow. <laughs> if that's the purpose of it, let it grow. Quit trying to find some other purpose. I mean, how many of y'all want to be around? How many, how many of y'all, all right, you don't have to tell me who it is. But now that we have, you know, caller ID, we've got like, you know, on your phone, you see it call. How many of you, when you see a phone call from somebody, you're like, oh, <laughs> come on, admit it. Anybody? I know you're all pipe. You look at, oh, I'm going to wait. Now, of course, it's with me, it's none of you. Okay? <laughs> none of you. It's people that are far away from here. But literally, but seriously. Man, it's like you really want, I mean, oh, they got another problem, another issue. And they got the cloud over them. You guys remember the Flintstones back in the day? Like the original ones, you know? You remember that dude who walked around with the cloud over his head? What's his name? Schlepprock or something like that? Yeah, you all know Schlepprocks. Everywhere they go, they got a cloud of rain. And they call like, oh, yeah, life's horrible. How many of you would rather answer the phone when somebody's always helping you see it from God's perspective? Isn't that who we want to be? Isn't that who we want to be around? So he says, man, let it grow. Don't go the wrong way with this. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Now, that perfect doesn't mean you're not going to have any flaws anymore. What it means is that now you have conquered this test. You know what's the difference between a test and a temptation? And we're going to see it in here. A test is God giving us something to show us where we are with him and trying to stretch us to get closer to him. A temptation is something that comes from the devil that's trying to get us to do anything but get closer to God. And God doesn't tempt us. He tests us. We learn from Jesus in the wilderness. God does the testing. Jesus, uh, the devil does the tempting. And we do the trusting. There's those three fingers again. There we go. We do the trusting. That's why God brings it into our life. But he says, man, if you pass this test, then you need nothing. You're ready for the next test and the next test. And now, how many of you, like, know how to do adding pretty good? Adding, arithmetic, you know? Uh, how many of y'all can remember maybe back, way back when, when you had your first addition test and it was really hard, you know? And then they threw some called subtraction in, which is reverse adding. It was like, oh, no! And then multiplication, which is adding on steroids. And it was like, oh, when they first, I have two ADD to memorize multiplication tables. Man, my mom multiplication table and I'm like, oh, it's 10, it's 20, it's 30, just get it away. But it didn't make logical sense, but I had to get it. And then, and then what? Then we got division. What's that? That's like, that's like adding on steroids reversed. All right. And then fractions. 
what in the world they want to do for action? We didn't even have Legos to understand it with at the time. We just had to like visualize it. And then they throw in geometry and then trigonometry and pre-calculus and calculus and all of, Ethan, why are you laughing, man? Because you're right in the middle of this junk, aren't you? Yeah, and Emily, you're laughing because you're done. Never again will I ever have to take another math test because I'm getting a missions degree. And the orphans in third world countries don't need this junk. All right, so. Seriously, but listen, man, once I passed, a, a, you know, adding and I got the hang of subtraction, those were hard when I was in it. They're hard for me because my mind isn't lineal. It, stuff just doesn't line up like that for me. I'm kind of abstract if you hadn't figured that out. All right. And, and so, but once I got it and then I got to multiplication, now adding wasn't that hard anymore. Once I got division, multiplication wasn't quite that hard. So that's what he's saying is I want you to pass these simple tests. I'm going to give you the answers. Do you understand we're taking a test with Christ? He's over our shoulder. How many of you are teachers or were teachers, ever been a teacher, right? How many of you have ever really felt sorry for a kid and you sort of were slipping them answers during a test? Or during, you know, come on, anybody? You're trying to help them out. No, Carrie's like, huh, I'm turning you into the teacher police if you've ever done that. No, but no, but literally. When we're taking a test, God is over our shoulder saying, oh, two times 10, that's, uh, that's 20. And then I write down 25. He's like, no, I said 10, 20. <laughs> and I still get it wrong. He said, no, 22. Let me take your hand. Two, zero. You see, that's what God is doing with us during tests. But if we're like, no, I got it. Get out of here. Quit messing with my life. I got it. He's like, okay, go ahead. And you turn your paper in with 25. And teacher's like, nope. <laughs> and you got to take the test again. God wants to give us the answers. That's grace. The desire and ability to do what he's called us to do. And so he says, man, let it grow. When your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is seeing things from God's perspective. That is the best definition I've ever heard of wisdom. So he says, you need to see this from God's perspective of why he's giving you this test. Ask him. Ask our generous God, and he'll give it to you. He'll tell you why you're in the middle of this. He's not going to rebuke you for asking. How many of y'all are getting trouble for asking the same question over and over again? Dude. <laughs> Anybody? Ask the same question. I told you. You weren't listening to me. <laughs> it's like, that's not you, honey. <laughs> but, but, but literally, God never gets tired of us asking the same question over again. You want to know, 10 minutes after he's already told you, God, why are we doing this again? He said, oh, to make you more like me. Why are we doing this again? Because, dude, I got tougher situations, fish to fry later. And if you don't fish, fry these fish, man, you're going to get fried in the next one. So get this. So he said, if you need to know why you're going through this, ask him. He'll tell you why. He's not going to rebuke you and say, I told you and you weren't listening. That's not how God works. He wants to tell you. But listen to what he says. He says, but when you do ask him, be sure that your faith is in him alone. Don't when he tells you, oh, because this is my plan for your life, and this is what I want to do in your life, and this is, my, this is what I designed you for, and this is my purpose in this test that I've given you, and then say, oh, yeah, but God, no, wait, wait, wait. We're going to do this and this and this. God's not into negotiating. That's not what he's into. That's not. So he says, if you're ready, if you come to him and ask, and then you're going to argue with him, then you know what? Look what it says. It says, 
don't waver. That's arguing with God. That's negotiating with him. He says, for a per person with a divided loyalty, divided between what God wants and what you and the world want, if you're, if you're divided, and in fact, in the Greek, in the King James, the way it looks in the Greek is a, a double suke. Double, that's not like something at the sushi bar. A double suke, that's a double-souled person. You have two souls. You want what God wants as long as it doesn't interfere with what you want. And so you're back and forth. You're back and forth. You're up and you're down. He said, don't waver for a person with that double suke, double loyalty is as unsettled as, read that, a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. If your life seems to be blown and tossed by the wind, chances are that's a symptom of a double suke. You didn't know I was a doctor, did you, Terry? Yeah, man, I, I diagnose double sukis all the time, but seriously, that's what he's saying. If your life is just like that, chances are your faith is being tested. Chances are you need to get rid of one of your souls, the one that wants what you want and the world wants, and just be like James and say, I'm a slave to you, God, and start just following and serving him. You know how many times a day I have to do that? Natalie, how many times a day do you think I have to do it? Not, not as many as you, but no, I'm just joking. No, seriously. I do it more than you. How many times a day do you do it, Natalie? All the time. That's what he said. We've got to crucify the flesh. And we need his help to do it. You can't crucify yourself. You can, like, take a nail and you can, like, get one, right? Okay, so I got this one. Oh, dang, I'm left-handed. Why did I do that one for? Oh, hang on. I crucify your flesh? And I can even, like, get that, but who's going to get the other one? I know that's a silly illustration, but you can't crucify your flesh. You need God's power and God's perspective, God's desire. You need God speaking. You saying, here it is. I'm walking with you doing it. Here, let's my goal. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And look what he says. Let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, it'll be perfect, complete, needing nothing. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God. He'll give it to you. He'll not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure your faith is in God alone. Do not waver. A person with a divided suke is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Look what he says. Such people. Now, every one of us, who here would admit that you have some moments in life where you are double suke <laughs> Okay? You're double soul, right? So that's all of us. So what do we do? Just give up and just be double suke people? You know, we'll just get double suitcase church. We'll just change the name of the church. We're like double soul church. You know, no. No, because one day we're going to go to heaven and we're going to lose the flesh and all we'll desire is God. But it's a battle right here. And we can't give up because we suffer the consequences of it. He said such people who just give up and decide to live that way should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. If you don't want to see it from his perspective, you don't want him doing it in your life. Don't expect him to be there doing it. You reap what you sow. But as long as you keep getting up, as long as you keep repenting, you're going the wrong way and you turn and say, boom, I'm coming back to you. Even if it's a million times a day, he's receiving you with open arms. Just don't be that double-souled person and give up. He said their loyalty is divided between God and the world. And they're unstable in everything they do. You know what? I may make a lot of turns in life. I may make a lot of turns, but dude, my main goal and my main direction is headed towards God. And if you see me not going towards God, I'm counting on you as brothers and sisters in Christ 
to tell me I'm not headed towards God. Al, you'll tell me, right? Sure. You'll tell me, right? Jill, you'll tell me. Destiny, Jack, you'll tell me. Don't be thinking just because he's a preacher, man. We can't tell him he's a sinful, wretched person. No, tell me. Because we all have blind spots, don't we? If it's a blind spot, what does that mean? We can't see it. Gary, I need your help. I need you to tell me my blind spots. I got to tell you yours and don't get ticked off at me when I do because no, I'm doing it in love. Man, I don't want to be divided between God and the world. I don't want to be unstable. I would rather be fighting the world the whole way, plowing towards Christ because I'm only going to be doing it for a little while rather than going back and forth, back and forth. Because man, what happens when you're, when you're a believer and, and, and you're walking away from Christ, you're the most miserable person in the world. Because you've got a Holy Spirit telling you, don't do that, yuck. You're, you're, a, you're a pig, a, a cat in a pig's body. I heard, I think it was John MacArthur, one of these guys illustrated this way. They said, when you come into the world, you're a pig, all right? We're pigs now, and, and, and we like wallowing in the mud, right? I still kind of like doing that, but we're wallowing in all the disease in the mud. But then when we get saved, we now have a, a cat soul. You ever see a cat when you throw them in the mud? You guys never thrown a cat in the mud? No, I'm just joking. Please do not turn me in. I've never done it either, all right? But can you imagine what a cat would be like if it got thrown in the mud? <laughs> what? Oh, oh, it's like, got to get out. It's like, oh, I have to, only way to clean myself is lick this off. And I'm not, oh, oh. I mean, literally a cat in the mud is like, oh. And so what he says is when we get saved, we have this pig body, which is our flesh, but we have a new nature inside us that's a spiritual nature. And it desires God, desires to be holy, desires to be clean. And when we, we are in the mud and then, we, and then we start walking with God, we're looking and going, oh, nasty. And we feel gross. We feel, and we've got that battle going on. One day you're going to lose the pig body. And all we're going to do is have that cat body. You know, I'm not a big cat fan either. It's just illustration. But, man, what I'm saying is one day the battle's going to be over. But for right now, we've got this fight. And we've got to realize that everything God puts in our life is there by his design to make us more like him. Look at verse 9. Believers, uh, he's, he's talking because he's talking to rich people, poor people. And back then there was just a great difference. There was no middle class. He said, believers who are poor, you have something to boast about. For God uh, has, uh, has honored them. You're like, uh, and by the way, when I talk about this, all of us in this room right here are both rich and poor, relatively speaking. So he goes on. He says, you're poor. You have something to boast about. He says, God has honored you by making you poor. How many of y'all feel honored to be poor? And, and you know what poor means? It doesn't just mean money. Poor means that you're not good at something. How many of y'all know there's something that you're horrible at? You know what Apostle Paul said? Apostle Paul said, I dig the things I'm weak at. I like those things because God wants me to do them, and I can't do them. Who has to do them? God does. So he says, man, I love the jobs God gives me that I can't do because then God's got to do them through me. It's the ones that I already know I can do that, man, i got to suck it up and go do them. And, and so he says, man, God's honored you and given you less stuff to distract you. To distract you from being a one-souled person. How many of y'all got stuff that's ever distracted you from God? Yeah. I didn't realize that until going to Haiti and stuff and realizing, dude, they don't have to worry about a broken air conditioner. They don't have to worry about where they're going to go out to eat and get in a fight. They don't have to worry about all those things. They're just glad they got a bowl of rice and beans and maybe three little pieces of 
gobway on top, man. That's that's goat, which is good, by the way. <laughs> Look at this. He said, and those of you who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like flowers in the field. In other words, he's saying, don't get all hung up on all your stuff. Make sure your stuff and your possessions and your riches and all those things that you've been given, make sure those don't keep you from being a single-souled person. Because it wasn't meant that. You know what? When God gives us stuff, most of the stuff he's given us isn't for us. I don't care what the American culture says. Most of the stuff, when you look at it biblically, that we are given is not. First of all, who does it all belong to? God. God. How often do we ask him, hey, what do you want me to do with that new thing you just gave me? Hey, what do you want me to do with that, that 452nd, you know, uh, twin shirt I just got, you know? How many shirts do you have here? About 200. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, so, so what do you want me to do with whatever we get? We should be asking God, what do you want me to do with it? Because it's his. And then we should use it that way. But all of, don't we, if you're like me, we take it and say, oh, I'm going to use it if I have any leftover. Oh, Jesus, what do you want? What do you want me to do with the leftovers? But in here, man, he says... He said, man, don't let that stuff get in the way of you following him, being single-souled. Real quick, he said, the hot sun rises, grass withers, little flowers droop and fall. Its beauty fades away in the same way. Rich and uh, will fade away with all their achievements. And, and whether you're talking about material possessions or diplomas or achievements, all kinds of stuff, he said, that stuff's all going to go away. All that's going to matter for eternity is what you did with Jesus. He goes on, verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterwards, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those that love him. You know what the crown of life is? Uh, when you get a crown as a king, it's because you have conquered something. And once you've conquered it, next time it comes up, you, you don't have to worry about being conquered by it again. Because you have conquered it. Anybody have stuff they've conquered? You know, I conquered addition. <laughs> I'm not afraid of addition anymore. Ever again, and I'm pretty good at subtraction if I have a calculator. I'm just saying, it doesn't matter. Don't judge me, man. Our calculators are legal. You use them in your test. I'm just saying, there's things we've conquered, and that's why He gives us these tests so we can conquer stuff. And then next time it comes up, it's not to trip us up and make us fail. If we succeed and conquer it, we have the crown of life. We know we never have to worry about this situation again because we've conquered it. And maybe that's what he wants you to do with the temptation slash test that's in your life right now. Once and for all, conquer it. And it's not going to be an instant thing, but conquer it by trusting him and letting him conquer it through you. And then you have the crown of life and you don't have to worry about it again. He said, man, God's promised this to those who love him. And that word love means to choose him. Almost done here. And remember, when you're being tempted, don't say God's tempting me. Because, again, temptation is, is the devil trying to get you to fail. A temptation is something that's trying to get you to fail. A test is trying to get you to succeed. And he says, so don't say that God's tempting me. God never tempted anybody to do wrong. Um, he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entices us and drags us away. The devil's dangling the right bait in front of our face. These desires, once we have desires and we start chasing them, it gives birth to sinful actions. When sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Every sin we commit kills something. The result of sin is death. It kills our dreams, our desires, our hopes, our relationships. It kills so many things. And so he's saying, don't, don't think that God's brought this in your life for you to fail. He's brought this in your life for you to conquer it. And so that, that you can succeed in it. And you won't have to deal with it again. So he says, don't be misled, my brothers and sisters. Whatever's good and perfect is a gift coming down from 
God, our Father, who created all lights in heaven, he never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Very quickly on this verse here, what he's saying is that whatever comes in your life is an opportunity for good. Nothing comes in your life unless it is from God. Nothing comes in your life unless it's, an, it's something from God. And everything God gives you is good. Now, what you do with it is up to you. But God has something good to get out of this in your life. He's not giving you any junk. He chose, look what he says, he chose to give us birth by giving us his true word. That's talking about being born again. And we out of all creation became his prize. If God gave you the desire and ability to be saved, to give your life to him and have an eternal life with him, don't you think he's still giving you good gifts right now? That's just a down payment. And, and he's got a purpose in it. So let's get to these three verses after this one. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. You must all know it is this verse. Listen. <laughs> all right. Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters. Please read these last things with me. All right. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So here it is, man. I got all shaken up right here. And, and I am all shaken up. What do we do? What is the first thing he says to do in this verse, Terry? What does he say? <laughs> Listen! Yes! Yeah, exactly! That's what he said. You guys actually, you guys got this. You know I've really opened this on you guys. That's awesome. You're, you're getting, you're almost there, man. Welcome to the family, sister. All right, but seriously. He says, when you're all shaken up, the first thing you need to do is listen. But what is the first thing we always do? Oh, wait, this one's no good. No more. What's the first thing he says we're supposed to do? Listen, but what do we do? Man, we let it all come out of the mouth. Look what he says next. Be slow to speak. That's our first thing. I'm going to speak and give my mind, and then I'll listen. But let me ask you a question. Once you blow it all out and you're, you're speaking and you're giving them a piece of your mind which you can't afford to give away and you're letting it all go out, it's all coming out, and how much of that are they really hearing? Because what's happening in a fight? You know what's happening next? Now all of a sudden they start spewing it all out, right? Ah, oh, getting... This is probably getting ruined, isn't it, JJ? And they're spewing it all out, right? And while they're spewing it out, are you listening to them? Or are you listening to some key points so that you have the perfect rebuttal as to why they are wrong? That's what we're listening for in an argument. We're not listening to each other. All we're doing in these disagreements is trying to dis have a rebuttal to prove the other person's wrong at what they're saying to you. We're never listening. If we start by speaking, he says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and then you will be slow to blow. And if you blow up in this situation, man, if you blow it all up, you are going to miss why God has brought it in your life. He already told you, man, every child find great joy in every trial. When that person gets under your skin, when they jump you, man, when they, man, sucker punch you with that and it hurts, don't be quick to rebuttal. Listen, man, nothing's coming in your life unless it's by God's design. Now, does that mean whatever they say about you is true? No. In fact, there's times where I'll have to listen and I'll be like, okay, God, okay, oh God. And I'm, I'm trying to listen hard and they're saying stuff. And I'll say, God, is it, you know, God, what do you want me to do with it? And he said, is it true? And I said, no. He said, then praise me, because it used to be. You know? But sometimes what hurts is when he says, yeah, 
It is. Yeah, it is. Man, I'm just going to share this because they're, they're here. But my, my dad died, man, I don't know, back in 06, somewhere around there. And I deal with death all times, a pastor, so I'm a tough guy. I handle this all the time, Rah, you know. But everybody goes through the grieving process. There, there's five steps, seven steps, whatever. There's some steps that everybody goes through. And some people get stuck on some of those steps. And all of a sudden, I reached a point in life where I was just angry. I wasn't angry about my dad's death. I could explain it away. It was all in my head. Yeah, it's all good. But all of a sudden, my life got to be an angry life. And I didn't even realize it. I just thought I was in a bad situation need to get out of them. And we're at dinner table one time, and I don't even know what it was. Maybe I cooked the pork chops wrong. Like, ah, you know, they're wrong. You know, I'm angry about pork chops. I messed them up. Whatever. But I'll never forget. I don't even remember. It was Ashley, Emily, or Matt. One of them, and it might have been in unison. But my kids looked at me, and they said, Dad, ever since Grandpa died, you've been angry. And I am so grateful, whoever said that, that you guys said that. Because all of a sudden, those words spoke truth into my life. And it, I realized I wasn't angry about this situation, that situation, this one. I was angry about my dad's death. And I had to figure out who I was angry with because it was affecting everybody the same way this right here. That anger was spilling out over everything. And I had to get to a point where I was able to listen and hear that for it to reach my heart. And when it reached my heart now, I knew it was true. You ever heard the truth hurts? <laughs> Anybody ever have the truth spoken into your life and it hurts? We got choice. We can say, no, that's not me. No, no, I'm no different than anybody. Or we can take it for what it's worth, what God wants it for. And we can say, all right, God, mm, God, that hurts. Not as bad as kidney stones, but it hurts. <laughs> it hurts. And we can say, God, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that girl. God, fix me. And we follow him. He says, be, slow, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. But if you reverse that, and when trouble comes in your life, things that irritate you come in, and if you're quick to get angry, and next you're blowing off, you know, all that. And you may even say, man, what's inside of me is important, and I need to get it out. Well, what would be the wise thing to do? Man, this is good stuff in here, right? And it needs to come out. But if, it was, if I was going to give it to you, what would you do with it before you open it? Wait. Yeah, you would wait? You want me to wait a little bit? Calm down. Okay. She's never coming back. <laughs> I hope you're right in the front seat. They're always on the front seat, so they know what I like. Yeah. And Terry's right there. I always pick on him. I always pick on all of you guys because I love you. But Right, Jack? And uh, Yeah, you wait. you got to wait. And guess what? Once it calms down, and look what even happens. My wife, don't use your teeth. <laughs> when you, you wait and you open it slowly, Man, now instead of making a mess, this is what I taught Keone to do. <sighs> Seriously, man, now it's refreshing as opposed to destructive and offensive. The same stuff, it's just how it all came out. Understand this, my dear brother and sisters. You must be quick to listen. Listen first before you open your mouth. And do you know how hard that is for me? Can you even guess how hard that is for me? How many of y'all have the same problem? Yeah, some of y'all are quiet. But you know what? You all are just passive aggressive. You got it all blown up inside, man. 
And that's like gas that's going to come out. When it comes out, it's potent, all right? I'm just saying. <laughs> we let it all out, but you got to be quick to listen. you got to be quick to listen and just sit back and let God speak. Try to figure out what he's got, what, what it is he's trying to communicate to you. Because even if it's somebody coming at you for the wrong reason and they're vengeful and they want to destroy you and they want to hurt you, they wouldn't be able to do it unless God designed it, unless God allowed it. And that's how we see life from God's perspective to say, God, why are you allowing this in my life right now? Slow to speak or quick to listen, but be very slow to speak because when you're speaking, you can't hear and get slow to be angry because you want to see something plug up your ears faster. There's nothing to plug up your ears faster than anger. You don't hear anything when you're angry. So look what he says. Human anger doesn't produce the righteousness of God. It even says in Proverbs, you discipline kids out of anger. It's not going to work. He goes on. He said, so get rid of all filth and evil out of your lives. And that filth and evil, you know what filth is? In the Greek word filth, it means when you're coming up with this dastardly plan to get back at the people that have gotten you. Anybody ever do that? Anybody ever, like, come up with somebody's done something and you have the perfect way to get back at them? Anybody? Seriously, anybody? All right. Just you guys. Nobody over here. You guys. I'm going to be like you. No, dude, in my mind. Hell no, Tara. Here. No, wait. That's always. On the road. Ooh, dude. How can I get them back? I've heard your road stories before. They're almost as bad as mine. Aren't they, Fernanda? And you're over there in the passenger seat hiding, right? Yeah. Uh, but that's what he's talking about. Our, our anger isn't going to solve anything. And he says, get rid of your filth. Instead of wasting your energy and your thoughts on trying to figure out how you're going to get them back, show them this and show them what they've been like and all that. He said, get rid of that and the evil. Quit doing the wrong things in your life. And look what he says. And humbly, you know why we do the filth and evil is because we're proud. They can't do that to me. But he says, be humble and accept the word God has planted in your hearts. For it has the power to save your souls. I'm going to end here, but I want to explain that. When I grew up, I grew up in Orlando before there was a lick of concrete, man. Before there was Disney. Our farm, 50 <coughs> acres, 8-acre lake, man. It was like down the street from Disney. Man, that's what I did. I grew up in the morning. I'd go out in the orange groves, eat oranges. Man, we'd go squirrel hunt. We could walk through woods. We could walk through pasture. We'd get in the rowboat, roll around, look at gators. It was a spring-fed lake, man, all the bluegill you ever wanted to eat, bass. Now it's all destroyed because housing development, just like the rest of Orlando. But in that, man, we would be out there, and I would see these guys come up in the orange groves, and they would have all these long white sleeve shirts, long pants, hats, these old cracker dudes, man. They'd come up. And they'd have a little pocket knife. My granny would be taking them to the orange tree. So I'd jump in the orange tree and climb up and watch what they did next. And what they would do next is they'd pick a piece of fruit, and they'd cut it with their little pocket knife, and they would taste it and say, yep. And then I'd watch my granny take a branch, and she'd cut a branch off and give it to them. She didn't sell them fruit. She sold them a branch. And then, and then they'd go to another one. They'd go to her pink grapefruit tree, man. Oh, dude, I didn't know grapefruits were supposed to be sour until I ate one that wasn't grown by her. And, and man, man, she'd have the grapefruits and they would taste it. Yep. And then they would get a couple branches of that. And then we go to the tangerine tree. I haven't had a good tangerine in years. I'm talking where you can hear the tangerine rattle and you peel the skin off. You ain't a cracker unless you can do it in one peel. If you have to take more than one peel, man, you just don't know how to peel an orange. But, man, we peel that thing open and, and, and there it is and you pop it open, no seeds, and it's just, oh, juicy, perfect tangerine. And sure enough, they'd say, yep, yeah, one of those, and they'd buy some branches. Well, you know what they would do with those branches? Most 
of the fruit, with the exception of your key lime tree, Heather, uh, limes and lemons are pretty much grown from seeds. But you plant an orange seed, you're going to grow sour rootstock. That's why when we have freezes, it, it'll freeze back all your citrus, and you'll get fruit that's like, ooh, nasty. But I can teach you how to make a good pie out of that if you want. But sour rootstock is what it is, but it quits growing that beautiful fruit. And what they have to do is they have to go in to grow beautiful fruit. They have to take it and cut that rootstock. They take a knife and they cut literally the trunk of that branch. And then they, they take the branch they bought from my granny and, and actually take the buds, because you can get numerous ones off of there. Isn't that right, Carl? Off that branch. And, and, and you want to know more about it, ask Carl. He's been in citrus business his whole life. But you take little buds and they would put those branches in the, the cut and they would put some hormone and then they would just wrap it up. Now it was ugly and it didn't produce fruit, but guess what happened? After it now became grafted in, that branch would grow and now it would start producing beautiful fruit. But if the branch, if the trunk was never cut, would there be a place to put the branch in? No, and what he's talking about here is when God lets you be cut. Anybody ever been cut? You've been hurt, you've been cut, ripped apart. The reason God's ripping you apart is to grow some fruit. And if we see it that way, we won't get angry and spill all over everybody, but instead we'll see what God wants. And he'll cut, he cuts us so that he can put in us oh, the word of God, which is a beautiful fruit branch. And that branch grows and now we produce fruit. You ain't never been cut and been healed, man. You ain't got no fruit. It's, that's how he does it. And so that's what he's saying, man, instead of getting angry, instead of shooting off with your mouth, get rid of all the filth and evilness out of your life that you can and humbly accept the word of, that God has engrafted in your heart. He said it has the power to save your soul. So next time you come about and, man, you're all shaken up and you're ready to just open your mouth and open your actions and just, man, you know what, I've had it. I'm ready to go, and I'm ready to let them have it over here. And you're ready to do that. Realize that if you do that, you're going to miss the whole reason God allowed that in your life. God meant for it to grow some beautiful fruit. But the only way it's going to happen is if you shut up and listen. Listen to God. And he may just be speaking to you through someone else. All right, June 17th, 28 years. I keep wanting to add more, like 28, 28 years. And I'm going to tell you, in 28 years of marriage to the same person, God has shown me things through her that he wouldn't show me any other way. Guarantee you. And he wants to do that in your life, too. And so, bottom line is be quiet and listen. It may need to come out, but when, before it comes out, you want to do, what's the W word? Wait. You want to wait. Wait over there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't always have that choice now, but, but wait and listen. Let God speak. Let him do it. And you just might have some beautiful fruit to come out of it in you. Let's bow for prayer. Father, um, thank you so much for changing this message. Um, I just got a feeling that something's coming about in my life today. Um, that I'm going to get shaken up. And I, I'm not Kreskin or some psychic. I just know that every day there's stuff that's going to shake me up. And, and I know I need to apply this. And I know every person here is going to be shaken up. And I don't know, maybe someone's going to get shaken up more than normal. And that's why they needed to be here to hear this. But, Father, every one of us gets shaken. 
And so, Father, instead of us just opening our mouth and opening our actions and letting everybody have, again, a piece of our mind that we can't afford to give away, Father, please help us to just be quiet, to listen and ask you what you're trying to accomplish in this, and then let you do your perfect work and accomplish it. We get a crown of life. We get to conquer that thing in our life so that we don't have to go back and conquer it again. It's already conquered. And, and next time it comes up, we've already done that. We're on to bigger and better things. Father, we build endurance. Our faith grows. All of these things are things that couldn't happen if you didn't put this in our life. But we so often miss it because we turn the model upside down and we get angry and, and, and have bad actions and words. Help us, Father, especially people like me, to just be quiet and be able to listen and do what you want done in a situation. Father, if there's somebody here that's never given their life to Jesus Christ, they don't know that when they die they're going to heaven. They don't know um, that they have you as their father and you're, and, and they're your, you're their child. Father, Father, I just pray that if someone needs to surrender their life to you, that today you'd give them a desire they can't refuse to do it because Without your Holy Spirit in us, we have no self-control. We can't be quiet and listen. The natural response is to be angry and spout off. We need your power. So for those of us, those of us that have that, help us tap into it. For those of us that, for of those who don't have it, Father, give them a desire they can't refuse to surrender their life to you. Not only for this life, but for the next. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name.